Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father God, thank you for this day you've made for us to rejoice and be glad. Thank you that we're in the house of God and we're affected by your presence. We're infected, oh God, by that spirit that causes us to want to please God and cry out, Abba, Father. Father, this day we pray that your word would be blessed to our lives, that it would prosper and give forth fruit as a good seed planted in good hearts. We pray that we would make the difference upon the land, oh God that we would be the light that shines, we would be the salt of the earth, oh God. We pray, Father God, that your word not return void, that it might impact our lives, transform us, that we not be conformed to this world, but that we might present ourselves to do the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and pleasing. We pray, Father God, that you would multiply our, our impact and influence in the world, oh God. There are men all over the world that have heard the cry of this house to give God our best. We pray that they, their wives, their marriages, their families, their children would rise up in the last days, filled with your spirit, influenced by visions and dreams, Father God, to live for your glory. Prosper your word in our hearts this day, Lord, and allow us to be transformed in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen and amen. Last week we were talking about preaching the word. Nothing gets done without the preaching of the word. Um, If you're going to a church and they're not preaching the word, get out of there. You need to be in a church that preaches the word. And, And some people don't want to preach the word because the word, the Bible says, is offensive. They will not endure. That means suffering. The word endure means suffering. In the last days, men will not endure sound doctrine. What's sound doctrine? Something that hurts. If it doesn't hurt you, you're unaffected. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 10, this is the highlight. One of my favorite verses says, I looked for words that were acceptable. This preaching man was trying to find good words. Um, They say, there's many ways to say it. Make sure you don't offend anybody. So he started looking through his inventory of words, his thesaurus, if you will, to try and find these words that were written that would be upright and words of truth. So go through your inventory of how you tell people about God. And then he realized something in verse 11. When he went through his inventory, he says, the words of the wise are like a goad. It's, it's, a, it's like a staff that has a, it's a wooden staff, and it had a, a point at the end, and it was put there so that the oxen, those that were plowing the fields, if, if the oxen was rebellious, he would kick the goad. It was, it was a steering device, a long staff with a point made out of wood, and he would put it there to, every time the ox wanted to go to the right, it would poke him. Every time he wanted to scoot over, it would poke him. And he says, the words of the wise direct your life like a goad. And, and then when Paul says, God, why do you do this to me? He says, it's a hard thing to kick against the goad. 
because you're going to hurt yourself. You hurt yourself when you don't walk according to the words of the wise because they're like goats. And like the words of the scholars are like well-driven nails that, that are given by a shepherd to his congregation. So I don't know what a goat feels like because I, I haven't plowed any fields lately. I do know what nails feel like because I've, I've, been, I've been pinched by a nail. But the words that he was looking for that were kind and acceptable and comfortable were not the words of the wise and were not the words of a shepherd to his flock. They're, they're painful. And so we have to find out, well, why is this hurting me? Why is God redirecting me? Why is God dealing with me? And so that's what the word does. It compels us. Colossians 1.28 says, uh, as we preach the word, we're doing it with admonition, with warning. We, we're preaching Jesus, warning every man. That, that uh, warning is a word which means counseling, uh, admonishing, uh, trying to influence men to go in the right direction with an instruction that's full of wisdom. So we, we often say when we're doing the men's conferences around the world, if you can't shout amen with anything you've heard so far, you could just say, ouch. Because there's not one amen still in this congregation. I've been preaching good for five minutes. The preaching... The warning, the teaching all men wisdom so that we might present every man, the word perfect there, translated into mature. The whole purpose we're here for is that some men might say, well, we're doing every man in preaching, in admonition, warning, and in teaching wisdom that we might present every man mature in Christ. Every man get to maturity. What does it mean to be mature in Christ? We should be concerned. Uh, I was talking to a lot of men, uh, pastors and leaders, and I said, let me ask you something. And Ken Freeman, when he came here, uh, evangelist came a couple Wednesdays ago, about a month ago. I said, Ken, you and I came from broken homes. Our parents were separated. They were, your parents went through a divorce. You had nine stepfathers. You come from a, a disastrous life of an alcoholic mother. Your, your mother, you hated her so much, you wanted to kill her. Does anybody think that that's normal? That's not normal. That's abnormal. So you come to Jesus, you become a man of God, and now you're 60, I think he said he was 66, you're 66 years old and you look like you've been through the grind and you have. Your past is nightmarish, it's ugly. You, you should have nightmares of your past and wake up sweating and, and disgusted and, and scared. And that's true, my background. I tell people I came from, from the garbage dump spiritually. We didn't, we didn't read the Bible till I was 21, till I was 20. I started taking the Bible serious at the age of 20. So what's 20 years worth of crap look like? Fear, phobia, complexes, all the crazy and perversion, 
All the crazy things that you can have when the light is not there. So the light turns on for you when you get past that nightmare. Light turns on for me. So we are affected. But let's say that a little baby is born in a home with a godly father like Miguel Vidal, those two girls. And, and he has a godly wife. And they come to church and they read the Bible and they love the Holy Spirit. And, and they groom those little babies to the age of 20. I want to suggest, my friend, there's no nightmares there. There's nothing ugly about having a, God, a dad who loves God, who lives for the Lord and, and knows the ways of God. So at 20, you don't have a screwed up daughter who wants to walk away with anybody but who her dad says, this is the guy for you. There's no rebellion in that house. There's the blessing of the Lord. So I said, Ken, what does a 20-year look like that did it right? And my sons grew up in the house of the Lord since they were born. So when you look at their lives, there's nothing weird. There's nothing distorted. Hey, they called them in one day, all three of my kids, and they said, tell us how horrible it was growing up with a dad who was a pastor. And they said, you guys are nuts. We had the best time in our lives. My mom and dad love each other a little too much maybe. They've never slept outside the home. They've never got divorced. They've never talked about this is over. They've never seen sadness and gloom. They've never want, I don't know, uh, my kids have not wanted to kill their mom. You know, the thing is that what does a 20-year a process, and I want to suggest this. An oyster is formed by an irritating element inside that is glossed over with this material substance at the end of all that irritation you have a beautiful pearl what does it look like to have a son or a daughter that has been in the right place around the right circumstances for 20 years unaffected I want to suggest they are a treasure they are the most incredible expression of beauty so that's who God created us to be God wants us to be unaffected and untwisted for a period of time. So I told these pastors and these leaders, what does a 25-year-old mature Christian look like? What would be the attributes of his character? What would be his disposition of a person that has attained maturity? If we go back to Colossians 1.28, it says that we preach, we warn, and we teach all the wisdom of God so that the men are mature. Because I want to say something emphatically, and you could, you could shout it from the rooftops. The biggest curse upon the face of the planet is an immature man. That's a curse. A man who does not reach maturity is an eyesore to any peoples. He abandons his marriage. He abuses his children. He has a mess in his finances. 
So this is what Paul is talking to the Colossians about. He's like, man, we're in Christ. That's where it ends because there's what people call maturity in the world. Oh, when you have a car payment, when you pay your house, when, listen, that's worldly standards of maturity. But the maturity that's in Christ, what's that look like? And if we're supposed to be moving in that direction, you need to, we're, we're, and this is George Barna. This is what, what happened. As he shared this weekend, I realized that we're right on track. I realized that that is our passion and that is our mandate to, to bring up men to the maturity and the expression of a character that, that is not wavering in his existence. There are many things that we can describe as mature, but, but the Bible in Christ. He, Ephesians 4 verse 11 he says like this, God resourced the church. He gave to the church five offices. He gave them to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's called the five-fold ministry. It's, 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 I call them the superheroes. Forget about the Avengers. These are the five guys uh, five expressions of spiritual giftings that God gave to the church. You should know what they are. An apostle. An apostle is a father of the faith. He's a pastor among pastors. He's a, he's a blessing. He's a patriarch. He's not wavering. He knows where, who God is from the beginning and he's moving in that reality. Um, the prophet. I was saying that we were looking for a lot of, for many years, we were looking for prophets. We're like, Lord, our church needs a prophet. And, and, but a lot of the prophets that are out there are like prophesying, you're going to give me a lot of money, and you're going to give me a lot of money, and you're going to give me a lot of money. And when money and prophets come together, I remember Balaam. I don't want a prophet like that in here. We don't want prophets that, that prophesize because of money. Or their issue is money. So we were praying and praying and praying. And one day Paul Lodato comes into our church. And he started prophesying over all the youth on Friday and Saturday night. I couldn't believe. This guy was like, come here, let me talk to you. And he started talking to him. I would listen. I knew who the youth were. He didn't. But he's a prophet. And God was giving him words for those youth. And so I said, Paul, could you come on Sunday and, and preach to the church? He says, yeah. And he spent three hours that Sunday, it was the longest service we've ever had. And he prophesied to everybody in this church. And I said, hallelujah. And at the end of that service, we said, we have our prophet. We have our man of God who God reveals those deep things that are unseen. And he reveals them. He was broken. Um, his, just the power of the prophetic anointing on his life. And, and we brought him to our retreats. And he's been a blessing for the edifying of our church. He's, he's done a wonderful thing. And then it says evangelists, those who win souls, those who, who God has set in the church to go and get souls. They, these are men that God has put in the church. Pastors and teachers, five-fold ministry in the church. With what purpose? Verse 12, to bring everyone to the unity. Equipping the saints means giving us our workout to edify, to build the body of Christ. Fivefold to build the church, verse 13. 
till we all come to the unity of the faith. We're not supposed to be some like super faithful and some not faithful. We're all to be the same expression of a unity expressed in the faith. Knowing the Son of God, in the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature men. The fivefold ministry is to raise responsible, mature men. If we're a church and the only thing we produce are clowns, I want to suggest that we call ourselves Spring of Life Circus. Right? Because if we're only producing men who are not serious, men who are not mature, then let's change. And we'll go, here's our clowns. And we bring up the clowns. But if we're a church, we need to raise up mature men. And I want to tell you, you're in a church that raises solid, mature men. Conformed to the character of Christ. Not that we're there yet, but we're going in that direction. We have no other purpose. Uh, when I meet a man of God, a woman of God, they're filling stadiums. There, there are some wizards and witches that they've taken on Christian titles, apostles and prophets and prophetesses. And, and, and they fill stadiums and everybody wants to hear them. Here comes the, that, girl, that woman is a prophetess. And he's an apostle. And I was like, come here. Show me one person that you have brought to maturity in Christ. Show me one spiritual son. Show me somebody who takes the things of God serious. And if you're not producing spiritual sons with the character and maturity of Christ, you're a circus, you're a clown, you're a witch, you're a wizard. You're not walking in the spirit of God. So the Bible says there, till we become perfect, mature men, that can be measured in a stature in the fullness, just like Christ. Verse 14 says the opposite, the contrast. is not mature men, it's no longer being children. So if the fivefold ministry effect, and this is, this is powerful, because while we can have a congregation full of people, as the Spirit of God moves in our midst, some are maturing and some continue to be children. They continue to be irresponsible. They continue to have no character. No longer being children that are tossed to and fro, that are easily moved, carried about with every new teaching that comes out, with men who trick and deceive and are crafty. That means if you're not careful, you're following the wrong crowd. You're headed in the wrong direction. So that is what Paul is talking about, maturity. Colossians 1.28, once again, we preach, we warn, and we teach. Every man, we, we, we preach the flies on the wall. There's not one person that's going to miss out this message. In all wisdom. So we might present, like at the end of it, you're going to say, ta-da. Here, here's the fruit of our ministry. Here, God that they are mature men in Christ Jesus. Now, what's he say in verse 29? He says, all my energy is used to this end. What does that mean? That the end product of everything we do here has to be to have men that will change the world. Men that are serious in their thoughts, in their words, in their actions, in their marriage, in their finances, in their parenting. Not wayward, just tossed in any direction. But to this end is my work. I press. I strive. According to all the power. 
which is working in me mightily. He says that, that his full passion and his full energy and his full labor had an end result. And the end result is to present men that are solid in Christ. Remember, I'm not saying solid at Spring of Life. I'm not saying solid um, as Pastor Joaquin would have it. No, solid in Christ. That they would not be ashamed when Christ comes because that has been our process. So I've titled this message, Preaching That Leads to Discipleship, which is the process that brings you to maturity. Discipleship is not sitting in a class and learning some Bible verses. If that were discipleship, I could bring you the biggest devils that know all the word of God, but don't live any of it. We don't want you to be a disciple according to your mind, but towards your character. That your disposition would be a life that pleases God. Now, in order to establish this, we know that nobody would be here today had nobody preached to us. We said that last week. Why is preaching the word so important? Because no one would even come if somebody didn't preach to them. Romans 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14. Those who cry out to God, God will save them. And then how shall they call on him whom they do not believe in? And how will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? So we know that the preaching, the proclamation, the, the advancing of the good news brings people here. How many say that when one sinner repents, there's a party in heaven? The angels shout. Everybody is celebrating high mode. And so they come here. When they come here, what's next? Discipleship. Okay, great. Jesus died for you on the cross. Great, you're not going to hell no more. Great that your sins are forgiven. Great that, that now you are destined for an eternity in God. That, that's an incredible thing. But as you leave the world and you come to the church, our mandate was to disciple all creatures. Making disciples of all people and bringing them to an expression of maturity. Listen, for some people, they think maturity is boring. Our best days in the world are acting like idiots. We're just foolish. We don't take anything serious. Everything's a joke. That's fine and dandy for the world. But in here, our maturity is life. The Bible says that the acts of a wicked man, I was like, I, was, I said, okay, the acts of a wicked man are wickedness. And he says, no, the Bible says the acts of a wicked man are foolishness. You don't want to be married to a clown. And all the women say, amen. amen. You don't want to be married to a clown. You want seriousness in the commitment of your marriage. You want seriousness in the commitment of your finances. You want seriousness in the relationship with your children. The day that your kid becomes a circus clown and is not taking his marriage serious, his finances serious, his life serious, it's going to be a painful day for us. So wisdom is our pursuit. And in that regards, discipleship is the process. We know we've all been preached to, and that's praise God. There's a lot of churches with a lot of people. But the travesty, again, we said, the travesty in the world 
And, and I want to say in churches, if, 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 if one of the biggest curses in the world is an immature man, I'm going to say it right here. One of the biggest curses for our church are men who don't want to mature. They don't want maturity. They don't want to show up. They don't want to participate. They don't want to express maturity. So when we're looking for this as our goal and our end product, I want to say that one of the most profound evidences of maturity, ready for this? Write this down. I'm gonna, I think there's going to be five of them. If you're going to say, what is the mark of maturity? I want to suggest that one of the highest marks of maturity is called humility. And that freaked me out because God gives grace to the humble. God's going to allow those that walk in humility to obtain all the provision of heaven. And humility is the, is the pathway to maturity because there's going to be a lot of things that happen from the time you get here that you're a Christian to reach maturity. It's going to require humility or else you're going to be out that door faster than you came in. If you don't have a humble spirit, a lot of men have said a teachable spirit. If you're going to get to where you're being led, it's because you're humble. You allow yourself to be taught. You're not easily offended. So to embrace attitudes of maturity regards what capacity are we walking in the opposite of pride. In the world, immaturity is seen by that proud spirit. I don't need a dad. I don't need a home. I don't need a church. I don't need a preacher. All that is a lack of maturity. Humility allows you to take the right spirit, to have the right attitudes and actions to reflect what Jesus would do. I'm blown away by every thought. This is, I'm blown away. Christ the son of the living God, the omnipotent creator, is in heaven, and he has to humble himself to become a man. I don't know what that would feel like, but it would be similar to you going down to become an ant. And then you're down there, and you're like, hey, you guys are just ants, but I was a human. And you're just boasting in the ant pile. Jesus didn't do that. He went from the highest of the height of the throne of God. And the Bible says, Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you that was in Christ. Start getting off your high horse, my friend. Get off that saddle, buddy. You need to lower every thought and attitude if you're going to obtain the grace that allows you to become a champion. You can't do it boasting and walking in arrogance let this mind be in you sometimes I say Lord I want to think more like you Lord I want to kill somebody and you want to save them you're fuss I'm frustrated and you have mercy I'm done with the guy and you still want to give him another chance give me your thoughts Lord give me your mind let me think like you. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. What is this mind? Verse 6. That being in the form of God, he did not grasp at that to measure himself in an expression like God. Yeah, you're, listen, some of the wives have to listen. I understand you blow your husband away by far. Ask Christ to give you his mindset of submission. Submission. 
I know that you blow your husband away for by far. You are high and mighty and lifted up, but humble yourself and become his servant like Christ did to us. Let this mind be in you. If you're going to be mature in Christ, you need to think like he did. He didn't consider himself equal to God. Well, what did he do then? Verse 7. He lowered himself and took the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of men. I, I wanted to do that. I'll, I'll tell you something that happened to this church. We're lawyers. We're doctors. We're professionals. And a lot of people will not walk in this church because of the status that we have in the community as that type of a family. Oh, that's, that's a church for rich people. That's a, that's a church for studied people. That's a church for educators. I, I hate that. I want the poor to walk in this place and feel at home. I want the uneducated to walk in this place and they, they don't feel a stench and a staunch of a we're upper God knows what. See, if we have the mind and the character of Christ, we will, we will save the world. We will change the world. We'll save souls. And that's always been my mindset. And I've understood that. It's not anything we do, but it's the reality of how this place developed. And, and so there's, there's a place for that. But I'm saying, Lord, allow all men and women and children to come because we have provision in this house for all people. And when we're not basing stuff on status and, and prominence, but he, he became a servant. He came in the form of a man. Verse 8, he says, being in the appearance of man was not enough. He humbled himself even more and became obedient to the point of death. And he was so humble, he allowed them to crucify him. I mean, I just said, look, it's enough. I came here as a man. Now you guys leave me alone. No, no, he took a point of service. Hey, okay, now I'm a servant. Now really leave me alone. No, now obedient. Now to the point of death and death on the cross. That guy went all the way down. Let this mind be in you. Because that's the mark of maturity. The mark of maturity is your capacity to be humble. And the Bible says for this reason, verse 9, when you walk at that level of humility, then therefore God, because he humbled himself, he walked in that level of maturity. God exalted him to the highest high, giving him a name above every name. So the humility allows you to reach maturity, allows you to be entrusted with greater responsibility and it not go to your head. So maturity is great. And sometimes in the churches, people come in here and say, well, I am a, the head deacon over deacons. Well, God bless you, my friend. I hope that sometime in that deacon run, you find how to be a servant. I, I, I hope that it's not about titles for you. I hope it's about a spirit of humility that allows you to serve. Amen. And that's, that's maturity, your capacity to humble yourself. And uh, I don't want to be... Uh, emphatically the instrument to humiliate. But, but Tommy Barnett said like this, if you don't humble yourself, you will be humiliated. If you don't allow the Spirit of God to lead you into humility, the only thing left for you is to be pounded on the head so that you are humiliated. And then that's where the devil takes advantage and takes you out of Christ. Number two, a sign of maturity is not only humility. i got to hurry up here. Not only a sign of humility, a character of humility, and we're all in process. 
We're, we're leaving pride behind and arrogance and self-sufficiency to humility, to being like Christ. Number two is sobriety. Sobriety talks about the balance between truth and grace. A lot of people don't have sobriety. As soon as I remember I got saved and I wanted to go tell the whole world that they were going to hell. And it's true. They're, they're, they're walking in a direction straight to the pit of hell. But then sobriety allows me to say, no, if, if I go and tell everybody go to hell, that is the, the, the expression of somebody who's not balanced. You, you don't go tell people they're going to hell. At least give them an opportunity to hear the good news of grace where they could get saved and come to heaven. But when you're immature, you're sending everybody to hell. He's going to hell, he's going to hell, she's going to hell, she's going to hell, she's going to hell, she's going to hell, eeny, meeny, miny, you're going to hell. That's not sobriety. Sobriety is a balance where, where you understand grace and you understand truth, and it's well-balanced. Um, an immature person will say everybody's going to heaven and God's going to judge nobody. See, that, that is a person that now doesn't put truth up. He puts grace at a level that is... It is intoxicating. God is going to forgive everybody. Nobody has to repent. Heaven is for all people. That's grace distorted. Who does that? An immature Christian. God judges nobody. See, he has truth twisted and distorted because he doesn't have the balance of, of the Bible says, uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 if we're going to be mature, we need to have the right balance. If I was, I was telling some people like this, this is the way I taught it. If I tell somebody one, two, okay, here goes. I tell somebody, listen, in three more steps, you're going over the cliff. And so one, two, and that next step is death. If I were to tell them, don't worry, you could take that third step and nothing's going to happen. That's a deception. That's a distortion. That's a lie. He'll probably break his leg. He, he could kill himself. He could break his neck. And so us that are teaching truth, if we're not balanced, we're going to bring death and not life. We're leading people in a very horrible way. Be diligent to present yourself to God, approved to God, as a worker who does not need to be ashamed because he rightly divides the word of truth. Part of this discipleship program where we go into a classroom is to actually learn what is the measure of God so that you're not imbalanced. You're not out of balance. You're not all over the place talking all sorts of craziness. So maturity requires the instruction that allows you to rightly divide the word of truth. So you want to tell a person who's going to hell you're going to hell because then he's going to tell you later you never told me. But you also want to be full of grace. Where you tell them, but the grace of God, the gift of God is salvation through grace. The gift of God comes through this saving grace of the Lord. So this rightly dividing is what we see in 1 Peter 5.8, to be sober and to be vigilant, to be balanced and to be with our heads high and clear. Why? Because the devil is dying for imbalanced people to run the gambit. This thing about be sober is to be balanced in your emotion because you could be intoxicated by an extreme sensual existence. George Barna said this this weekend. He says, um, 
40 years ago, the church was led by men of principle, men of values, men of priorities, men of character, men of conviction. Today, the church is led by pastors that want to feel good, want to, uh, they want their wants, their desires, their, ple their pleasures. They're all sensual. They're not, they're not walking in the truth of God's word. They're saying, yeah, but, but God wouldn't send anybody to hell. I mean, that's, that would be awful. And they're going through their sentiment and not by what the word of God says. So when he says, if you don't want the devil to come and devour you, you better be sober. You better have that balance. You better look very clearly as you proceed. Super important to be able to distinguish that thing between truth and grace. Jude chapter 1 verse 3, he says, Beloved, I wanted to write you concerning this salvation. I wanted to write you concerning our common salvation. Jude chapter 1 verse 3. Uh, I wanted to be diligent concerning our common salvation, but I find it necessary. I want to talk about being a Christian, but I want to pinpoint to exhort you to fight earnestly for the faith which we receive delivered to the saints. Verse 4, what's it say? What does he want to write about? For certain men have crept in, and they're disguised unnoticed, and they're marked out for condemnation. These are ungodly men who twist the grace of God into license. Oh, the grace of God lets me have another wife. The grace of God lets me get divorced. The grace of God lets me not go to church. The grace of God leads me not to read the Bible. The grace of God lets me, listen to me, get drunk and drink alcohol. Listen, no, that's not the grace of God. The grace of God teaches you wisdom to be ready and blameless at the coming of Christ. The grace of God comes to perfect Christ's character in you, not to make you worse and make you a clown. The grace of God comes to lead you. And these men have snuck in, and now they are loaded with a grace that is twisted. And that's what he's saying there. Ungodly men who turn the grace of God into license to do whatever they, oh, the grace of God allows me to be a disaster. I don't think so, my friend. Number three, maturity is not only humility and sobriety, but it's discernment. You can tell a mature Christian because he knows how to tell the difference between right and wrong. Hebrews 5.11 says, I, I wanted to explain to you. We have much to say and it's very dis difficult to explain. He's talking to them that they are immature and immature people don't want to listen. You've become dual of hearing. There you see a, a, a young person that's on fire for God. He's like listening. He's writing down. You see an old person that is on fire and mature for God. He's writing down. He's listening. He's getting what God is speaking to the church. But the immature slows down in his listening. You've become dual of hearing. Verse 12, he says, and then by now, you ought to be, by this time, you ought to be teaching somebody. A sign of immaturity is that your Christian life is teaching an example to nobody. If you're mature, a lot of people are learning how to become Christians and they're walking in your example. But if you're immature, you're slow in hearing and you're not teaching anybody what you've learned. You ought to be teachers by now. But you need somebody to teach you again the first principles. You need milk and not solid food. What's going on? Church, you need to be teaching somebody and bring them up to where you're at. 
And if not, you're walking in immaturity, instability. Your life cannot be followed as an example. This um, being able to discern between right and wrong is a sign of maturity. I always said that uh, some kids are crawling around at the age of two, and they pick up a cockroach, and they put it in their mouth. And I'm saying, okay, that's a sign of being a baby. You're not supposed to put a cockroach in your mouth because it's not food. But baby Christians don't know what they feed on. They feed on anything that comes through the, 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 the pike. But to know how to eat and where to go to eat, that's a sign of maturity. Psalm 199, verse 66, I'm sorry, 119, verse 66, it says, Lord, teach me how to discern. Give me knowledge. I want to stay within the confines of your commandments. I, I don't want to be deceived. That's, uh, immaturity is easily deceived. Anybody comes up to you and tells you anything and they sideswipe you. If you see the mainstream media is always throwing upon the Christians. They're always, hey, why do Christians do this and why do Christians that? So a television station called me. They said, we want to interview you because one of these pastors of a mega church in, in the United States is buying a $60 million airplane. And you come and tell us why he's doing that. And so I went over there. If, if, you're, if you're immature, if you're a child in the faith, you're like, that guy's the devil. He's going to hell with his $60 million airplane. And so when I got there, I said, let me ask you guys a question. Why didn't you call me when Oprah Winfrey bought the same airplane, Tiger Woods bought the same airplane, and Mark Cuban bought the same airplane? Do what, what they do, is that more important than what this preacher does? I don't think so. So let's break to commercial. Let's get out of here quick. Why? Because they were trying to influence immaturity. And sometimes you hear things and you don't know the bottom line and you're moved before you even know what's moving you. So be careful because in the last days, a lot of things are going to be moving people, but not the mature. They know by discernment. They know by understanding. They're not easily moved. I have this verse here, Proverbs 2, verse 2. It says, make sure that you have a discernment for the treasures of the things of God. So that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Verse 3. Yes, if you cry out for discernment. Lord, let me not be an emotional Christian. Moved by, by stupid things. Let me have discernment and be able to, to judge matters rightly. And to be able to discuss these things. Lift up your voice for understanding. Cry out for discernment so that God can make you a mature Christian and you're not easily moved in the last days. How many say amen? Here it is. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3. Brethren, when I came to you, I could not talk to you as mature people, but only worldly people. You are still carnal. You're, you're walking around with envy, with strife, with divisions among you. Are you not carnal and merely behaving as normal men? There's no maturity in you. Verse 1. Verse 2. You're babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not food. For until now you weren't able to receive deeper, more solid substance. Even now, you're still not able to receive more of what God has for you. Verse 4. One of you is saying, I belong to this. The other one says, I belong to that. Are you not 
carnal? Aren't you acting immature? Fourth sign of maturity is our capacity to love. John 13, 34. This is, this is I believe this includes everything, but, but I, I want to give it to you because he says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. This is not only about being humility, uh, walking in humility. It's not only walk, being balanced in sobriety. It's not only having discernment, but it's being able to love. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. Verse 35. And by this expression, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. There are people that come from the world. The opposite of love is selfishness. So the process of discipleship is to stop being proud, to stop being uh, intoxicated by emotion. It's, it's to stop not having discernment, but it's to start stop thinking about yourself, my friend. This is not about you. This whole experience is not about you. That's, that's what the center of a child's universe is himself. So the discipleship process to maturity is that you're thinking of other people. You're thinking about other people's best interest and priority. You actually, this is a fruit that, that shows that you have crossed over from darkness to light. I have it there in 1 John 3, 14. We've passed from death to life and from darkness to light. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love someone else continues in death. You continue in a spirit that is not the spirit of God. Thinking about yourself the whole time. And you don't have a capacity to think about others. Philippians 1 verse 9, he says, I pray, Paul, that your love might abound more and more. Maturity in Christ means more and more thoughts towards other people, more and more and more and more and more thoughts about other people. You have other people on your schedule. That was a sign during the Feast of Sukkot, which we're right in the middle of, for the last seven days, they did a tabernacle in Israel. The Feast of Tabernacles called Sukkot. It's one of their national feasts where they dedicate themselves to reaching out to the needy, to the stranger. The evidence of your Christianity is that you care about other people. I, I'll tell you what. I love spring of life. I love what God is doing here. But I can't get past the point that there's people out there that don't even know this place exists. That kills me. That there's a place where God is feeding his sheep and people don't know about it. So every time I come here and I have a great time and I experience everything God has put in this church. But I'm thinking about the people that are not here. As I spend my whole week inviting people, they might not come, but I did my part. I invite them. I want people to have the same goodness that I have, that they would know the same expression. What I enjoy in my marriage and in my family, I want everyone to have. It would be unfair for me to sit here and say, okay, don't tell nobody because we're running out of seats. No. I'm believing in a bigger building, a bigger land. I want all of Miami to be here getting fed by the word of truth, knowing God in his presence. So he says, I pray that your love, say with me, love. love. Say, may abound. may abound. Still more and more. That you might grow in your It's fine to go out to a neighborhood outreach. It's fine to go to another city. It's fine to go to another state. In fact, we'll be in uh, Sacramento, California next week doing a men's retreat. There'll be 150 men. They, yesterday, they, they wrote me an email. Uh, men in London studying chapter 6 of what is a man 
And they said, you know something? We're learning that character is the foundation, uh, faithfulness is the, is the foundation of character. And I, I was rejoicing. We're impacting other nations. I want to tell you this, not so unpopular and well-known, but I want to share the love of God. It's a sign of love when you reach out to others. And that's what a, a mature Christian does. He's not thinking about himself. One guy says, oh, I don't go to church no more because I don't need it. I say, well, do you ever figure out that people need you? It's not about what you need. It's people need you in this place. Oh, I don't go to church because I'm already spiritually fed. I felt great. I felt strong. Yeah, but there was weak and there were needy people here waiting for you. But when you're only thinking about yourself, you're immature. You're self-centered. And the Bible says that love is the expression of maturity. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Timothy, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, understand this. In the last days, it will be perilous times. 2 Timothy 3, 1. He's writing to his disciple. He says, I want to talk to you about what's coming. Perilous times. Uh, the, 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 the word peril in Spanish is peligro, dangerous. Times will come. And you say, well, what's so dangerous about the last days? Verse 2. Men will be lovers of themselves. If you're selfish, you don't express love. You're not mature. It's all about you. I, I see people walk into the church and they sit down and I know they're frustrated and they're upset and they're offended because it's all about them. And they sit here the whole entire services and they leave and the entire time they were here, they were full of themselves. They, they weren't rejoicing about God. They weren't rejoicing about their brothers or sisters, the worship team, the Sunday school, the ushers. They weren't, it's all about if, if hey, uh, I want to go there. Help them, Lord. It's not about you. Get over yourself. Build a ladder, bridge, whatever it takes. Get one of those big cranes. Get over yourself. Start expressing love. Your countenance in a peaceful expression is love. But what, what it says in Matthew 24, 12, because of the wickedness of men in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. You got to be careful because the devil wants you not to express maturity and love, but a coldness in self-centeredness, which is a lover of self, a lover of pleasure rather than of God. So we got humility, we got sobriety, we got discernment, we have love. That love needs to, uh, people say, I love God, man, man, do I love God, I love God, I love God, I love people, I love people, I love people, I love God and people. Listen, a mark of maturity, number five, is serve somebody. Not only love them, but serve them. Somebody. The Bible says if your faith does not include works, it's dead. James chapter 2, verse 14. What benefit is it, my brethren, if someone claims that he has love but has no evidence of serving someone else? Can his love for others save him without works? Verse 15. If a brother and sister is without, is naked and destitute in need of food, and verse 16, and one of you say, God bless you, go in peace. Be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Verse 17. So too, faith is not that does not have works is dead, is useless. 
If, if our impact to know God and to be wise and to be humble and to walk in this way doesn't have an expression to lay down and do something for the benefit of others, we're wasting our time. How many say amen? We're wasting our time. All of the things that we're doing is to be able to please God and to uh, continue to walk towards a greater degree of maturity in the things of God. Let's stand this morning. How many thank God that we're in church this morning? Hallelujah. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Humility, sobriety, discernment, love, and serving. We preach, we admonish, we warn, and we teach all men with all wisdom to be presented mature in Christ. To this end, we labor. I want to tell you that if we walk in that direction, we're going to see the glory of God fill the earth. We're going to see great things on, on, on God's behalf. God needs mature Christians in our day, not selfish ones. God needs men and, that are willing to deny self. But one of the men here years ago wrote a, a letter. Uh, he, he said to the girl, if you do these hundred things, I'll marry you. And she came into my office and she was so happy. She says, Pastor, I finally got uh, a proposed to. And he says, if I do these hundred things, he's going to marry me. And I said, listen, give me that paper. I tore it in a thousand pieces. I said, you tell that dirty lowlife to put on a paper a hundred things he's going to do for you. And all the women say, amen. There's a pastor in this house. And she says, what? I go, yeah, a man's supposed to lay down his life. He's not supposed to be coming into a marriage where he's going to get out of it. That's an immature man seeking himself ambition so Christ laid down his life for his bride and, and he's serious about this I, I don't know and, and one of the things I've struggled with throughout the years is how better to express and explain these things so that our understanding moves us in the right direction we should be so com uh, what's that called compelled an inner compulsion to want to live the way God wants us to live and, and we fall short and, and, and we, we stumble and we mess up and we, every day, there's an expression of things that are immature, but we're eliminating those things. We're getting rid of them. They're a lot fewer and in between than when we first began because we want to honor God with our lives. Father, thank you for this day that you've made for us to rejoice and be glad. We know that you have spoken to us clearly today. The move from preaching to discipleship to maturity to be found conformed to the image of Christ. To grow, Lord, away from pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency to humility. To be able to balance our doctrine, our theology, our, our beliefs, our convictions. To be wholesome and grounded in truth, but full of your grace. We thank you for discernment to be able to distinguish between right and wrong, holy and unclean. Desire those things that are best. We pray, Father God, that you give us an expression of love 
that impacts the world and that this love is founded on denying self and not continuing to be more and more selfish. Help us to be more generous. Help us to walk according to laying down our lives and not taking it up. And finally, Lord, allow us to serve one another, serve our city, serve our church. Take a place of service that really reflects who we are. That way our faith is not dead, it's alive. Bring us to maturity, God. This we pray in Jesus' name and the house of God says, amen and amen and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.